Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Hello there, Matt, how are you? Well, I'm actually disappointed with myself this week. What have you done made a mistake and I'm just going to publicly apologise for it. Oh, okay. I won't mention the organisation involved, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that I do in my life. Obviously, the number one role I've got is mayor. Many yes. people talk about the fact that in their life, whatever they're involved with, number one comes family and number two comes their job and number three comes whatever charity events. But really, unfortunately, even for my family, it seems like the number one focus is mayor. That's my yes. number one focus. Yes. But I do lots of other things. I've still got a business that they might occasionally see me. I probably get in there once every three months and so say good day. this bloke turning up? He <laughs> looks like right. a face on the door or something. And I've got That's very it. good staff and they do a wonderful job there and I really appreciate the fact that they keep running their business while I go on and do yes. the role of mayor. And, and I'm still involved in various events, uh, charity events, Tour to O'Rock. I'm on the planning committee for that again. I'm not the chairperson this year. Yep. I was the chairperson when we did it last time and I was mayor and chairperson at the same time. There's just too much to do. So I've got someone else who's doing the chair role. You know, it's okay. I've seen your diary on a week-to-week basis. <laughs> and I can assure everybody out there, you're the, probably the busiest man I've ever met in my life, let me tell you. Well, and, and you hit the nail on the head there. My diary, I rely so much on my diary and making sure everything's in my diary. But this week, I stuffed up. Oh, did you double book or something? I double booked, but I didn't even know I double booked. Oh, really? That One was, of those ones? That was the problem. I'd made a mistake and it was a series of little minor errors that wouldn't have normally mattered, yep. except they added up to me meant to be in two places at once. And I was only one of those places, obviously, but I didn't even know I was meant to be in the other place. Right. And it relates to some poetry. I do, again, one of my little charity things oh, I yes, do is yes. I go to various aged care facilities around Dubbo and the region, actually, hmm. and do some poetry. And I used to do that every, when I wasn't me, I used to do it every month. I'd go to, I think there were about seven or maybe even eight different places I'd go and do poetry every month. Then COVID came along, of course, and so that had to mm-hmm. stop. You couldn't go and visit yep. aged care facilities. And as those various facilities have been coming out of COVID, I've been going and ramping up those mm-hmm. and back to some of those. But I've, I've said to them, I can't do it every month. Mm. So typically it's been every second or every third month that I do it. And it's booked in, in my diary, as you yep. say, yes. book in there. But there are sometimes other things that come up like mayoral duties that I go, well, that's more important. I need to shuffle that around. Mm. But again, I made a mistake this week and I was at one place doing poetry yes. and my phone rang. And doing again, your best banjo, Patterson. Exactly yes. right. Putting everything into it and my phone rang. And obviously yes. I'm not going to stop my poetry to take a phone call, but phone ring and that was fine. And I looked at my phone messages afterwards and there was a phone message there from another place that I was meant to be at. Oh, no. And it was a new place. It was a place I hadn't done it for right. ever before. So it was a new place that had heard that I do some poetry. Mm-hmm. Could I come along? And so anyway, I rang them back and apologised and I, I felt terrible because I'm sure there's a lot of work for those places to yes. have entertainment organised and you get all the people to come down and get a, a gather around and so you've got them all there ready and then where's Matthew? He's not... Where's the up. star of this show? Where That's is this right. bloke? Yeah, so I've anyway, heard so I felt, much about him. I felt terrible and so I do apologise, publicly apologise, obviously apologise to the organisation. So yeah, it is it's a terrible feeling. So you do rely on your diary so much and yes. you're doing events just, you're relying on the timing and finishing one to get to the next one and making sure there's enough time for that first one. Yes. And in amongst all that, there's often flights that you've got organised as well. So hopefully that any flights are, are in and out, that they're getting there on time. So it is a complicated diary. I'm trying to do a lot, trying to yes. do too much, some may say. But I think the one of the problems after the amalgamation that I identified was that it's a big area, 7,536 mm. mm. square kilometres. And I've got great team of councillors and they do go to other things mm. for me but there are some times where you just 
have to be there as the mayor. So you've got Wellington, you've got Dubbo, you're trying to get to all these different things. So it's not an excuse. I'm busy. I made a mistake. Well, you know I'm what? really sorry. To err is to be human. There it is. <laughs> well, there you so go. All Th- part of the Thank deal, you for your it? understanding. <laughs> <laughs> now, mate, during the week, uh, I'm going to start with a bit of a medical focus because it looks like um, you attended a couple of things here uh, from the point of view of the medical profession. One of the things you uh, went along to was the establishment bar, one of those uh, great little setups there in town, to go along to a GP registrar's night, the registrars. So what uh, did you put the... Uh, the council card, the master card on the, on the, the bar and say happy days, let's, let's get this party started or what happened? Council certainly did contribute to the night in terms nice. of financially contribute. One of the things that has been working really well over many years has been showing some care and attention, showing some love if you mm. like, to people that come to Dubbo that are important for Dubbo and we want to keep you long term. Yeah. If I go back many years, many, many years, when we had the School of Rural Health, the Sydney University School of Rural Health doing years three and four at Dubbo, mm. students at Sydney University, or sorry, the University of Sydney to be technically correct, doing medicine could choose to go somewhere for year three and four. They could keep going mm. through Sydney as per normal, but there were various rural placements. And so Orange was one, Dubbo was another. There were some other various placements they could go to. And when I spoke to some staff up at the University of Sydney School of Rural Health, mm. they said to me that they're having a bit of a problem because the number of students they have allocated for Dubbo it's being undersubscribed. Right. So they're not they getting come here. They're not getting enough people who want to come here. So mm. they had to force some of those people to mm. come. And that's not pleasant. If someone says, Oh, look, I'll consider that, I wouldn't mind going to Orange and they say, Well done, Mark. Mm. Congratulations you're going to Dubbo. No, I don't want to go to Dubbo. Mm. And I thought that was a terrible thing that not enough people were yeah, applying to come to Dubbo. And I said, I think I can help. I think if you get a busload of students bring them out to Dubbo for a weekend, show them Dubbo, sure, show them Orange on the way mm. as well, and I'll come along and I'll talk to them and tell them about how wonderful Dubbo is, we'll do a few things, take them to the zoo, whatever. I think we can increase the level of interest and mm. the number of people who want to come to Dubbo. So we started doing that, and again, for a university student, someone saying, go to Dubbo, free weekend mm. to go and look at some things, maybe a couple of drinks, yep. that sounds pretty exciting. They came along and they would bring a busload maybe 60 people. I can't remember exactly how many they used to come, but it was a full bus, maybe even two buses, I'm not sure, but there was a reasonable crowd. I'd go along and I'd talk to them about Dubbo. I'd I'd maybe do some poetry for them, some some Dubbo poetry. And just show them that we love them. And I used to always put my tongue firmly in my cheek and I'd say, look, I'm sure when you're talking to John Davis, who was the mayor of Orange at the time, I'd say, sure, when you're talking to John Davis, he'll talk to you about how wonderful Orange mm. is as well, knowing full well that they weren't seeing John Davis <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't seeing any other mayor of any other yes. place they were going to. It was about that. And mm. you'd see some of the students kind of a little bit of a confused look on their face. So, oh, we never saw what? John Davis. That's right. Who's he? Surely John would think it's important mm. enough to go and talk to you about mm. it. Again, tongue in cheek. And they appreciated the slight little jab I was having yes. at the, the Orange mayor. And we give them some... Dubbo, I love Dubbo, or some Dubbo coffee cups of some description or drink bottles, whatever. So something to yeah. go back with. And it didn't take long. They were finding that they were way oversubscribed for Dubbo. Well, you, you throw in there bars, free stuff, university students, That's bus right. trip, zoo, happy days. That's right. You but they still, That's you can market the product, but yeah. you still have to have a good product that Absolutely. you're marketing. So they did love it. That was fantastic. Oversubscribed. And the results that they were starting to get out of Dubbo mm were actually very good results. And so some of the students in Dubbo were talking then about saying, the atmosphere here, it's a relaxed atmosphere, we've got mm. good access to the lecturers. Gee, it's good for results. Mm. So they were finding out of, say, 200 kids they might have in each year, graduating year from Sydney University, then they were finding that 
in the top 10, mm. there were usually two or three from Dubbo from only a very small How cohort. So that was great. Fantastic. Now we fast forward. To the registrars who are well, here now. These, now the registrars, they're, they're doctors already. Well, it's just like their first sort of year, isn't it, as a registrar? Is that the sort of, you finish university degree, first job as a registrar. Is that right? I'm going to go back one step. Yeah. Because the, the next thing that happened was years one to four started at the University of Sydney School of Rural Health. So now you've got all four years and you've got 24 students in each of those four years. We've yeah, got right. 96 students in now. Yep. So it's not just years three and four now, it's years one, two, three, four. Mm. And they're all well and truly oversubscribed. They have hundreds of applications for mm. those 24 placements. Orange still only has years three and four. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So Dubbo's done very well. So that's great. Now, on to your question. Yes, our registrars. Now, I'm not an expert on the whole process for a medical degree, but as mm. I understand it, you would have four years is the medical degree at the University of Sydney because it's a post-grad degree. You go mm. and do some degree, whatever you want to do it in, and then after you get your first degree, you do medicine as a four-year degree. So the students that we've got here do their four years here in Dubbo. Then after that, they would do another two years, mm. one year in a hospital, I think, maybe both those years in a hospital, yep. one year as an intern, but there'd be another two years. So I think pretty much at the end of that six years, four years of actual training, mm. two years in the system, mm. then I think that's pretty much, you can call yourself a doctor. But if you want to be a GP, there's a further process you've got to go through to be qualified as a GP. And when you think about it, GPs have got to know a lot. Mm. If you become a specialist, you decide you're going to become a knee expert or yeah. a, a, a neurosurgeon, whatever it might be, you've mm. got specialist training you've got to do, but that's only one part of the body. You know yeah. a lot about that one part of the body. But GPs, people come in with a sore hip or a bit of a cough or whatever it might be, you've got to know a lot. So that's, right. that's a, a specialty in its own. Mm. Now, again, I'm not an expert on this, but I think it's about three years of that GP registrar process they go through. Yep. And there are certain GPs in Dubbo and, and in the area, so mm. some in Wellington as well and some further out, that are qualified that practice, that particular medical practice is qualified to take on students, to take on registrars. They're at the point that they're a doctor. They know what they're doing. And more than likely, most of the time when you go in to see that registrar, mm. it's going to be you as the patient, the registrar as the doctor having the consult. Yep. But they also know they've got someone in the practice that's more experienced, that's been given the tick of approval to be a trainer. Mm. And so sometimes that registrar might go, hmm, just not sure on this one. I'll just check with the person who's in charge of that mm. here in this practice. Mm. So they're pretty much at that point when they're almost ready to go. But I think it takes about that three years before they can then hang their shingle up and say... So these registrars then that you, you are coming along to this night, are they? Uh, was the intention to try to get them to come and stay in Dubbo longer than just simply their time here as a registrar? Shh, don't tell them, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would have been. Yes, exactly right. What the intention was, these are registrars that are in Dubbo, again, some in Wellington, but they're in our community right now. Mm. They're out there in practices. People are seeing them already. Yeah. We just wanted to say welcome. Again, yeah, yeah. I use my same old jokes that I've been rolling out for many years about, gee, I'm sure everywhere you go, mm. I'm sure you're sick of the mayor of that particular location coming along and saying welcome. <laughs> and you can see blank Again, looks in the faces. Looks, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So part of it is thank you for coming along to Dubbo. Mm. Part of it is to tell you a bit about Dubbo. And we had a few speakers there to talk about a few different things. So, for example, we had Neil Webster, who's the president of the Sports Council. Oh, yes. And he's got a, a great history in touch footy and yep. been president of the, the local touch footy association before. But it was really about if you want to get involved in sport, mm. then here's someone that can tell you about some of the different sports mm. that are happening in Dubbo. This is fantastic. Mm. You had some 
a couple of people there from the Western South Wales Primary Health Network, so that was very much yep. a medical focus about their processes there. Yep. We also had a doctor who's here in Dubbo now, permanently in Dubbo, mm. and she talked about the process, her 10-year journey. She actually said, and I'd forgotten about this, mm. but she said, I remember meeting you, Matthew, 10 years ago when I was a student yeah, right. coming out to Dubbo, and I remember talking to yourself and your wife, who was at that particular function with me, yep. about where we could get coffee the next day because we knew we were going out that night, we might need a coffee the next yeah, day. Yeah. So Full that was when she was it. year three or four, maybe. Yeah. She then went away after she'd finished her two years of training here in Dubbo, went away, came back a little bit, liked it a bit, thought she might stay, ended up getting married, got a couple of kids now. So wow. here she is in That's Dubbo works, isn't it? 10 That's years right. later. Yes, yes. And so she was saying to the all the registrars there, here's my journey. Yeah. But you're here in Dubbo now. It's a fantastic location. Mm. So she was an absolutely wonderful advocate because she'd been through a process where she'd mm. experienced Dubbo, gone away, but it just kept drawing her back mm. here. So it was really about welcome. Thank you for coming. Yeah. We'd like you to stay. We don't want to be too obvious about it, but yeah, maybe we are being a bit obvious about it. Yep. But it really just about getting to know the community and being part of that community. Absolutely fantastic. And I guarantee that just talking to some of those registrars afterwards, mm. they will be considering Dubbo, or at least regionally, very seriously. One doctor said to me, he said, I can't believe it's taken me this long to work it out. Mm. I've done the numbers. My commute when I was working in Sydney as a doctor, as part of his initial training, yeah. I was commuting approximately 40 hours a month. Holy wow. Oh, geez, that's he unreal. said, in Dubbo, it's a few minutes yeah. for my commute. And I feel like... That's an entire working week I've got back every month. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, these are doctors, they're intelligent people, but it still takes them a while to work Absolutely. out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something right. that all of us living out here in Dubbo yeah, already yeah. know. Absolutely. The, the commute time alone makes our quality yeah. of life better. Let alone the tolls and everything else down there as well. The oh, cost of it. All of that, mm. that's right. On the back of that then, I'll just go briefly mention mm. a little research project. So during the week as well, I went up to the University of Sydney School of Rural Health yeah. where they've got a research project. This is a $6.5 million research project involving a range of organisations, including the CSIRO. And this research project is about rural and remote health for wounds. Okay. So someone that's cut themselves, they've had an accident, something happened, they've got an open wound. Yep. And what they're doing, and I actually got to be part of it, I actually I signed all the details yeah. to sign my life away. Yes. Uh, then I put on a silicon wound. Right. And then they take some various videos and 3D photos of the silicon wound. Yep. The idea ultimately is to get to the point where with a smartphone, with a reasonably mm. modern smartphone, yep. you can actually point that using an app that will be developed mm. to a wound and that will go off to a professional who will then give someone at the other end, presumably you'd be with your doctor, not just yep. sitting at home with a needle and cotton and going to yeah, stitch yeah, it up. Yeah, so do it yourself sort of thing. But yeah. going through that process where they could analyse that, talk about the type of treatment, yeah, even right. talk about how long it might take for that wound to heal, get updates on a regular basis. But using mm. the power of what we've got now with a modern smartphone, yes. with all of this modern technology and using mm. some AI to help in this process as well. So that's started already. Isn't that wonderful? That's sort of the way of the world a bit right now, isn't it, in regards to trying to use modern technology to make life a little bit easier for us and better for us, that's and right. particularly within the medical profession. You yeah, know, yeah, that's right. Especially so when we're struggling to get doctors and that in country and rural spaces and that too. Well, this does help absolutely mm. hit the nail on the head. Getting research projects like this and getting the amount of money that was being spent on a research project like this in a regional or rural area, then other doctors look at that and say, well, could I do a research project from somewhere 
that's outside of Sydney yep. as well. Yep. And so this is the, the first step there. They hook me up to a few other machines with some of the things they're doing. And so it's quite fascinating. Mm. They're getting to the point where they think they've got this part pretty well right already, mm. where they can do the reading of a heart rate with non-contact. So they do it by reading the face, by wow. having a video. Yeah, right basically directed at the face How and they, they can pick that? up heart What's, rate. What are they picking up on the face? Just the slight change in movement of the face as your blood pulses through. What, they're sort of picking up on the pulsations That's of the, it. the face? Exactly right. Wow. Now, they're working on it. They're not sure if they'll actually get this one, but they're working on doing blood pressure in the same way, yep. continual monitoring of blood pressure, working on respiration rate as well. So right. all this fascinating yeah, yeah. work being done here in Dubbo. Mm. That's the exciting part about it. It's now, quite the, cutting edge, isn't it? it really yeah, is. Absolutely cutting edge. Excuse a very bad pun talking about open wounds, <laughs> but... <laughs> the wound that I did, which was a silicon wound they put on, yep. in about a month's time, they'll be in the hospital. So when people come in with a real wound, mm. they'll also put that as part of the whole learning process for AI and some of the yep. technology in the back end. So this is all happening here in Dubbo. There was a study done many years ago called the Archer Study. That right. was another great research project that's the only one in the world that did a longitudinal study on kids and their hormone levels and their state of mental health, essentially. Mm. And I'm probably doing great disjustice to the actual researchers on that, yep. but that was a study... But in a simplified way, that was what it was all about, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's okay. right. And so they were doing blood tests and urine samples and then just checking in on the state mm. of mental health of kids mm. as they grew up mm. over years. And that information is still being discussed in various papers around the world oh, now. Wow. So if you're in Dubbo, it doesn't mean that you can't access research, you can't be involved in research, yep. you can't be a doctor, you've got all these extra facilities. The RFDS gives many doctors great experience mm. about something that might be different as well. So a mm. lot of opportunity there, but the main part of our night there was to see if we can keep some of those doctors Absolutely. in regional areas. If you do that, you've done your job well. Now you go, uh, I think it must have been around about Thursday or so, you jumped on a plane, might have been Friday, jumped on a plane down there to Adelaide to attend the Regional Development uh, Regional Development of Australia conference down there. This, I'm assuming, is this Regional Development Australia, is this the South Australia focus, Regional Development Australia, or is this a, simply a, a rural or regional development across Australia conference? There are different versions of Regional Development Australia. Okay. So in Dubbo, the, our group is called Arana. Yeah. Uh, there are different ones in Adelaide, the different ones across the so nation. So you spoke at this conference in Adelaide? Or? Yeah, they, they call it their annual summit. And okay. it was a summit about, obviously, focused on regional. Mm. Interestingly enough, there have been people on the board of that particular RDA that have been talking about Dubbo, which mm. I wasn't aware of. They were talking about Dubbo, and they thought that Dubbo, they, they like what was happening in Dubbo, and they wanted to learn more about what was happening Did, in Dubbo. How did they find out about Dubbo? What was the scenario? Just some there? of the data they've been looking at. A lot of RDAs around the nation look at different data points and see what's happening with growth rates, see what's okay. happening with different areas. And Dubbo kept popping up, is what they told me. Yeah, right. And I happened to be at a conference in Toowoomba recently. I spoke at that conference. Yeah. And someone came to me after and said, we've actually been talking about Dubbo and we've got a summit on over in Adelaide, or not Adelaide, it was actually a little bit out of Adelaide because mm. it was regional, of course. Yes. It was in a place called Evanston. 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 Right, yes. And which is towards the Barossa Valley, but not quite in the Barossa Valley, yep. on the edge, I think, of it. Okay. Sounds like a nice little spot. It was a nice little spot. Gawler yeah. Racetrack was actually at. Oh, okay. So there were no now horses running. Now you had a few bets over the years. I do remember Gawler. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> there were no horses running. The, the racetrack looked in great condition, but there were no horses running on it. Yep. But the focus, obviously, was all about regional, mm. and so Dubbo would come up. So they talked to me at Toowoomba, can you come over? Sure, check the mm. dates, that's fine. So what did you talk about? What was your focus? Well, the folk, for them, why Dubbo had really mm. come onto their radar was because 
the growth rate in Dubbo was still going very strong. And they looked at various regional locations across the nation, yeah. and some were negative growth, obviously losing population. Yeah. Some were going along okay. Dubbo, over the last decade, mm. started off the beginning of the decade not quite outpacing the New South Wales average, mm. but then as it went on through the decade, it started to get to the point where it was outpacing mm. and still Particularly is outpacing. Particularly in recent times, like we talked about last week. Yeah, exactly right, mm. with some of the housing approvals. Yeah. So for that one, I mean, I, I do represent Dubbo in different locations around the state and at various locations, and this one, I just actually said to them, I'm not convinced that this would be fair for the rate payers of Dubbo to pay for me to go to Adelaide and, sure, represent mm. Dubbo, but it sounds like this is something that's of more benefit to the people in the room mm. rather than the community of Dubbo. And they thought that was fair enough, so they said, look, we'll pay for your flights, we'll pay for your accommodation, etc." Okay. I don't get paid out of these things and I don't expect to be paid. Yep. I'm, I'm still representing Dubbo and I'm yep. still talking about the virtues of Dubbo and how wonderful Dubbo is. Mm. So there's still that part of it, but I just thought this one was a bit too much of a stretch in terms of community paying for this sure. one. That was all fine. So basically what I talked about is how we've done that and yeah. I'll condense a, an hour and a half on stage down to about two minutes. minutes yeah. <laughs> but I did talk about the fact that we've got some natural advantages where we are mm. location-wise is a natural advantage. Mm. So that's lucky for us. We've also worked hard over the years on making sure that we've got a diverse range of occupations. Mm. And I, I joked about the fact that I've met people from Sydney before and they just assume everyone – in regional areas, exactly right. Mm. And they'll shake my hand and, and say, all right, how much land do you own? And I tell them proudly that I've got about 2,000 square metres and they don't really understand that. Can you run sheep on that? Well, they don't go that far. They say, what do you grow on that? They think, oh, they think, that, yes. they think I'm a, a, a cropper, you know, what do I yes, grow on yes. that? And I tell them that I was doing Kikuyu for a while but I've now moved over to Buffalo <laughs> and you can still see a bit of a blank expression on their face. Not You've got a big herd sure. out the front there. That's, That's it. Right. <laughs> anyway, I, I talked about the fact that that's a really important part. Mm. Education around ignorance. Mm. And again, I say ignorance in the nicest possible way. Yeah. But I do think that's part of it is that people are a bit ignorant about what we've got in regional areas. So mm. I talked about that. But I also talked about Evo Cities, our marketing campaign, yep. which started back in 2010 and took a few years to see results coming through. But absolutely, mm. I think that as advertising worked and then we had a pandemic come along mm. as well, which woke up people to regional living. Mm. I think the advertising we did in the early days talking about Evo cities, and that was across seven cities in New South Wales, yeah. I think that was really effective and we're not doing enough of it at the moment. And yeah. even while I was talking and just looking at the results myself, I thought to myself, I've really got to get back to the stage where we do mm. some more of these Evo cities marketing. But mm. it was interesting, no doubt about that at all, mm. and talked to a few interesting people. There was a, an ex-premier there in the crowd. He sits on one of the boards that is focused on some regional development around mm. South Australia. Yep. But it, it's always good to hear as you talk to different people, and I actually listen to some of the other presentations, mm. just different points of view, how you can focus on things. The electric charging network. There was oh, yeah, a, yeah. A, talk about that. A group there that was talking about that. They've got yep. the Royal Automobile Association of South Australia, or RAA, and it's the South Australian equivalent of the NRMA. They talked about the fact that they're the ones rolling out yep. across South Australia the same sort of charges that NRMA is rolling out here. And they're partnering up with councils to do that and yep. getting some contributions from various levels of government. So I think overall, you still learn things. I still talk about Dubbo. Yep. And I still have people come up to me afterwards saying, oh, I went to Dubbo years ago. Yep. I went there as a kid or whatever. I should get back there and have a look at that. Yep. And I, I couldn't not mention our 3D printed toilet. So I said, come oh, on and have a look at that. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's, a, it's, it's one of those things. I'm happy to help out other organisations, yep. other people. 
knowledge is one of the very few things that you can mm. give away and still keep for yourself. That's Every true. day in your job, you're giving away knowledge to your yep. students, but you're not losing it. If I give you $10, no, right. I lose $10. If that's I it. give you some information, I can still keep it. So I'm happy to share information. I'm happy to share information mm. at a function like that. Yeah, you know, it sounds like to me is the fact that you're almost summed up into three areas, I reckon. The, the fact you, you've sold Dubbo from the point of view of lifestyle, affordability, and opportunities. Absolutely right. You get, know, that's, get the that's, nails on the head. That's it. That's I'll get you talking in the next one. I might get a little bit of guest speaker with you. Right. <laughs> now look at this little one here. Uh, you attended on Saturday the Dubbo Support Centre, which has just been opening up. This is a new uh, new operation that's been opened up and down here, is it? The Dubbo Support Centre. So we're talking about support for just general Dubbo citizens, or are there a particular group of citizens that we're talking about here? People that have moved typically from overseas. Okay. Now, this is a, a group in Sydney called the Indian Support Centre. Right. And they've been doing this sort of help for people from the Indian community. Now, in Sydney, you've got a big enough population there that you've got a lot of Indians that move to Sydney yep. and they need their own dedicated support and there's probably the equivalent of that for other countries around the world that mm. might move but obviously India is a very large country so you're probably going to get more people from India moving to Sydney than other countries mm. say Nepal or Bangladesh or whatever it might be. Yep. So I've been in communication with the president of this Indian Support Centre in Sydney for months now. Okay. Been talking to me about a variety of things and talking to me about funding. He wanted funding from council but I, I said look there's no funding there mm. for council mm. from council. In the end, he managed to get some funding out of the federal government and a little bit out of the state government as well. Mm. They're very proactive. Yep. And the idea was to run a similar support centre in Dubbo. And in various discussions with myself yep. and Councillor Shibley Shadri has been speaking to as well, and just people in the community in general, it seemed like it would make more sense to have it not just an Indian support yep. centre. Let's open it up a bit wider. So it is called the Dubbo Support Centre. Right. They're located down on Macquarie Street. And the idea is if I move to Dubbo from... Anywhere. It can be from a subcontinent nation, probably would be the major focus. But right. if I move here from America or New Zealand or wherever, yeah. and I'm not sure about how I would get some accommodation mm. or what services I've got. I want to play some sport. Whatever it might be, mm. is there someone, some organisation that can mm. help me? And that's exactly what they'll have so here. That's what these guys are going to do. So they're, they're a not-for-profit group, are they? Or? They're a not-for-profit group. They've yeah. got a volunteer board, yeah. but they've got employee. So okay. they've got one person who's a manager down there. He'll be the, the main person. If they can keep building up, I'm sure they'll need more staff. Yeah. But that will be the role of that person to really have contacts, yeah, have yeah. a variety of contacts, have people there ready in the organ in the community that they can go to. So when you come along and say, hey, I've just moved here, yeah. I'm from wherever, then what do I do? How do mm. I go about this? Because it would be pretty daunting Absolutely. going to a different country yep. and then saying, help. And yeah. I'm sure that help people that are moving from other locations around Australia as well. But mm. they're probably, most of those people, if I'm living in Gilgandra, I moved to Dubbo, I'm mm. probably a bit more familiar with what I can do. But if mm. I move from another country, Absolutely. things are different in different yeah. countries. So that certainly to me is one of the things that is valuable and important. 18.5% of our population now is or uh, are born in another country. So of all our population at the last census in Dubbo Regional Council area, 18.5% were born in another nation. You know, that's a great little segue in regards to one of the things you did, uh, attending the cross-cultural carnival night. Like, uh, how good's that? Yeah, and that was perfect on Saturday night as well because yeah. there were a few visitors from Sydney that came along to support the Indian Support Centre in opening up the Dubbo Support Centre. Yep. And then, of course, it's hey, in beautifully. they have to be carnival on tonight. Something we would never have seen probably 15 years ago on Dubbo. Even no, probably 10 years ago on Dubbo. But today, we've got it. Yep, exactly right. So Oriscon mm. is the 
overarching organisation that runs it, that organises that, and mm. the food was brilliant. I love going along to those events and having oh, some nice dinner. Absolutely. And the smells. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's right. So that was another thing. But this is the, the changing face. Mm. And if I go back to when I first became mayor and I got to do citizenship ceremonies, mm. very exciting. But most of the people there were from the UK, yep. had some from New Zealand, a few from Canada and America maybe, and then occasionally you'd see someone from the subcontinent. Mm. Mm. Fast forward 12 years yes. and now – the ceremonies are mostly people from the subcontinent and occasionally, oh, look at that. There was someone yeah, from the UK there today. Oh. Yeah, so it's certainly been a changing face. And I remember my son, when he had a birthday party one year, this is going back a few years ago, mm. had a birthday party and he said, I just want to invite a few friends around to play video games. It's just low key, not a big party. And so I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. Invite a few around. And I can't remember how many he had, maybe eight mm. or nine kids came around. Yeah. And I looked at them and I said to, to my son, that's quite fascinating. I said, mm. you've got five different nationalities there. And my son said, oh, do we? I didn't realise. That's what didn't even sort of come as a thought. And, this and is felt, my friend. I felt bad about myself then yeah, because yeah. I saw kids from different countries and I'd spoken yeah, to them about yeah. where they came from initially. But from my son's perspective, he just saw That's friends from school. Said, Mate. Yeah, yeah. That's right. His name's Sean and happy days. And one of the things that was spoken about at the opening of the Dubbo Support Centre mm. was that the idea is that when you say to someone, where do you come from? The objective is, I come from Dubbo, not nice. I come from Nepal or India. And I'm then did you test anyone on that? Well, I did test them out, more so on the cricket. Oh, so okay, yes. During the week, yes. of course, India played Australia in the cricket. And I said, so here's the acid test. When India played Australia in the cricket earlier in the week and Australia got beaten, unfortunately, who were you supporting? And the answer I got was India. And I went, no, no, no we wrong haven't answer. quite gotten you there yet. <laughs> That's when we know that you've become a true Aussie citizen. That's right. When you, you start, start supporting the fact, like when Warner gets out for 51 or whatever it was, and instead of turning around and cheering for India, you're throwing those beer cans at the TV instead. Exactly right. <laughs> That's when we know we've gotten them over the line. But I think it is a great community. We're living in a very welcoming community. Mm. That was talked about. Definitely a very welcoming community. And these sort of support services will just make it even better. Wonderful. Now, on Sunday, you're going to be heading out to the airport to uh, farewell the students and the chaperones who are heading over to Japan for the, the Minakomo experience. Exactly right. We did come talk around about, fast. It, uh, it has, and we did talk about it recently that we had students here. That's right. From Minakomo, and a very emotional farewell night. This is the return night. visit. This is kind of the return visit, that's right. But the, the farewell night at the Dubbo Golf Club, very emotional, tears all over the place, lots of music, lots of song, lots yes. of fun. And I guarantee those kids, the relationships they formed in the time they were here, mm. some of those will be lifelong. Uh, on Sunday, it hasn't happened yet, it'll be happening on Sunday afternoon, going out to the airport to farewell the students. And Lovely. I do like to talk to the How students. How many are you going again? How many you got going? Uh, there's 10 students that'll be going. Okay, and, nice number. Uh, and, and chaperones as well, which is fantastic. Mm. They, all of them, the chaperones and the students, get a small contribution from the community, from Dubbo Regional Council, yeah. towards airfares to get over there, but they're still got to pay most of it themselves. Mm. And one of the things that, that I think is really important, I do talk to the students about this every time when I've sent them off on their way, is I impress upon them the importance of the role they're playing as ambassadors. Mm. And I did give feedback back to the mayor of Minakamo from the students that were here last time. I, I did say to him that the students that they had over here were excellent ambassadors for Minakamo. Mm. And I'm going to say to the students on Sunday afternoon that the expectation from our community is that 
they will be, and I'm sure they will be, because there are lots of applications for yeah. students, and we had to pick the best of the best there. But I'm, I guarantee they will be excellent ambassadors, and I'm looking forward to seeing or hearing lots of great stories about those students when yes. they come back. So it'll be a fun time for them. They're over there for almost two weeks. Ah, what a wonderful experience, two wonderful weeks experience. in Japan. And I'm sure even the chaperones will find it a wonderful yes. experience as well. A lot of responsibility for them as well. Parents Absolutely. hand off their kids mm. and say, please bring back my child mm. in one piece. Everything's safe. That's right. So a lot of expectation there. Yeah, That's exactly right. right. But anyway, exciting time for them. Exciting to see the exchanges happening again oh, in both directions. Now, that's a little bit more serious. I saw a, an announcement uh, during the week, and it's concerned me a little bit in regards to uh, Rex Airlines. Now, they've announced the fact that I'm potentially here, they're looking at uh, dropping air services to a number of regional locations. I'm really hoping Dubbo's not on this list. Is, is this the case? Is this what's happening? I'm actually a big supporter of Rex. I think Rex do an excellent job in regional areas. And Rex will often service airports, service towns and cities mm. that no one else sees as viable. They've mm. got a business model that's a, a fairly low-cost business model, and that means they can service some of these centres mm. that aren't serviced by other airlines. So they do perform a really important role. But it has been noticed lately there have been a few cancellations of services, and this is more double. I've just heard some feedback, mm. and then I actually got some information recently about some of those cancellations. Mm. And there have been some days there, there have been multiple cancellations and various things, which is tough. A delayed flight is one thing, but when mm. you get a cancelled flight... Absolutely. And people rely on these air services in regional oh, yeah. areas yeah. to get various services in Sydney. For lots of reasons. That's right. And vice yeah. versa. We've got various consultants or experts or medical people that might come out to service the Dubbo community, yeah. Yeah. and they rely on those services as well. That's right. So they made it's an announcement... It's a effect, isn't it, when the flight's missed? Yeah, that's right. There's a, they made an announcement during the week that they're going to reduce the level of services to seven different locations in New South Wales. Right. So, so not cancel, but just reduce. Reduce the amount of services. So we're talking about here Albury, Coffs Harbour, Griffith, Narandra, Orange, Parks and Port Macquarie. It's a couple of big centres there. A couple of big centres there. That's but not right. Dubbo. Not Dubbo. Okay. They're also cancelling, or they're saying suspending, mm. but basically no services to Armadale. Now, they're talking about this happening until the end of March next year. Okay. The problem is not so much the patronage. They've had people that have been using their services. The problem is that they just can't get enough staff. So the skills shortage right. that everyone talks well. about. Yeah, that's right. Now, if you but can't get enough staff at your coffee shop, yeah. then that's a bit of a pain. You might not be able to produce as many coffees. Mm. You might not be able to get all those people that are waiting for coffee service as quickly as you'd like. Mm. But you, you can still open the cafe. Skill shortages has an impact on different mm. businesses in different ways. But if I haven't got two pilots mm. to get in that plane, if I haven't got one hostie to get in that plane, then I can't fly that service. Mm. And that's been the problem that Rex has been so they having. So they're having to reprioritise their level of flights or something, are they? It's only to the areas that they feel as though there's enough people on these flights to, to warrant a service. Well, I think the problem is that they just don't have enough staff. Mm. And they do do training for various pilots, and they obviously take on pilots that have already got experience. But they just haven't been able to get enough pilots to keep all their planes in the air. I'm sure for Rex, mm. they want to keep their planes in the air because mm. a plane parked on the ground isn't making money. Mm. It's only making money when it's 
up in the air. So, so by any chance, have you been in contact with anyone from Rex in regards to this? Or So there's a gentleman by the name of Warwick Lodge who's the GM of Network Strategy, and I've dealt with Warwick over the years okay. in a variety of different ways. Sometimes it's been because Warwick hasn't been happy about the prices that we're putting our right. landing fees So it's up. Network Strategy. Are they a group linked to Rex, are they? Or? No, no, this, he's the general manager of Network Strategy for Rex. Oh, okay. So right, that's he, like a subdivision sort of thing of their, their operations. No, no, no. Network Strategy is the title. So his title... He's the general manager of network strategy, the same as you might be general manager of maintenance, for example. Right, yeah. oh, but so, so still within the Rex company. He, he's employed yeah, by Rex. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. he's the probably the main person I've dealt with with Rex over the years. I've okay. dealt sometimes with the chairman of the organisation. I've dealt sometimes with people on the board of Rex. Mm. But in terms of the operational staff, Warwick's been the main person that okay. I've dealt with, and I found Warwick good to deal with. Again, sometimes he has had unpleasant conversations with me because he doesn't like how much Dubbo right. might be charging from a, a landing fee perspective. Yep. Yep. But I've still always found Warwick open, upfront, and, and happy to have discussions. I only found out about this on Friday night or okay. late Friday. Yep. So I didn't ring him. I actually sent him an email and just offered support to say, is there anything, and probably wearing two hats, I said more probably from regional cities, New South Wales, mm. hat as chairperson of that, mm. rather than necessarily as mayor of Dubbo. Mm. Is there any way we could help You've got training facilities already. Is there ways we could help from a lobbying perspective with training facilities? What what could we do to help? Mm, because, mm. yes, this doesn't affect Dubbo, but it certainly affects regional New South Wales. Absolutely. And, and that's not good. And it could also affect Dubbo. It might be another announcement next month. They might that's reduce right. services in Dubbo. Well, so there's an interconnectedness between all regional cities uh, in, in the way these sort of things operate. If, they, if one domino starts to fall within regional centres, you do start to worry about where the domino fall finishes. Well, it's not good in general. I'm, I'm a strong advocate for regional. Mm. Yes, Dubbo first. I'm the Mayor of Dubbo Regional Council. That's always going to be my first and foremost. But regional areas, I always, always feel that if regional areas are strong, if mm. regional areas are going well, then it's the old saying about all ships rise with the tide, yeah. then all regional areas are going to benefit. So yeah. I'm not so concerned if Orange gets something that Dubbo doesn't get. Yeah. I still think it's good when regional areas get things. And in this case, regional areas missing mm. out on things, even though those eight locations I've mentioned, none of those mm. are Dubbo, mm. it still does have an impact, I Absolutely. think, on regional areas so in general. So at this point in time then, it's you're getting no indication of the fact that Rex is planning on doing a similar sort of thing here. No, and hopefully they won't because hopefully the idea is by them reducing the number of services, they've got a pool of pilots, obviously. Mm. By reducing the number of services, presumably they'll be able to service those the rest of those properly. And that was the okay. quote that I saw from Warwick in the media reports. It talked about the fact that cancellations aren't good. If they reduce the number of services, then they can deliver more reliable services. And mm. that makes sense to me. Mm. So we've got a certain number of flights each week and we have enough pilots to fulfil those. So if we reduce the number of services we can service those with the number of pilots oh, we've got. They are talking about it being only till the end of March 2024, yeah. and they've obviously got some plans in place to try and solve that pilot shortage. But this is this is a problem we see. It is, isn't Skill it? Skill shortages. Yeah. And it's are, not just in airlines, it's across the board, isn't no, it? No, affecting yeah. lots of different industries and affecting lots of different regional locations. Yeah. So best of luck to Rex in solving the problem. Again, I've reached there already. If there's something we can mm. do, I'm not sure I don't have an idea that what mm. we could do, but if it's something we could do, we'd be more than happy to help them out. Mm. Now, Matt, a big event this uh, coming up this Thursday night. And of course, it's the mayoral election. End of this week, uh, you and I both might be out of a job. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if there's a new mayor in place, they might want to continue on a podcast. And they well, you never know. That's right. I might put an application in, see what he wants to do or she wants to do. Who knows? Yeah, that's right. So tell me about it. Uh, how do you feel, first of all? Do you feel as though um, you're going to be sitting back in the same chair 
after Thursday night? Or what's what's what do you where do you generally sort of feel right now? I would never be so presumptuous to mm-hmm. say what might happen with councillors. I've reached out to all the councillors and basically telling them I'm going to put my hand up for mayor again and hoping yeah. to get their vote. I don't know what will happen, obviously. We'll wait okay. until Thursday night. But just a bit of background there. There's mm-hmm. 128 councils across the state. And of those councils, you've got a council election every four years. So that's electing all the councillors. Yeah. And there's a different number of councils on those. Some have wards, some have, don't have wards. But they're pretty much the same across there. Sometimes there might be someone in administration or whatever. But mm-hmm. generally, 128 councils. 14 September next year is the next full council election. Right. This term of council is a bit strange because it was initially reduced by a year from a four-year term to a three-year term. Right. And then it was reduced further, and that was, sorry, the first part of that was COVID, Mm. and then it was reduced by another three months because they pushed the election back three months. So this Mm. term of council has been two years and nine months, or will be by the end of it. Of Of those 128 councils, 35 of those councils elect the mayor by the community, a direct election of the mayor. So that's called a popularly elected mayor. Mm. That means in 35 of those councils, you walk into the ballot box and you write down the numbers for your councillors and you also write down numbers for the mayor. So Mm. it's two elections in one. Mm. The other 93 councils across the state, I jokingly say they're unpopular elected mayor, but of course it's not. (laughs) They're elected by the fellow councillors. And this Mm. is effectively the same way that a prime minister or a premier are elected. You have your colleagues as the ones who elect you. I actually prefer that. Mm. And obviously most of the state prefers that as well because Mm. 93 out of 128 do it in that way. It used to be every year, so you'd have an election in one year and the full election and then you'd elect a mayor from that group. Mm. And then every year after that, in September, you had to hold a mayoral election. Mm. In my time away from council, and then by the time I came back, they changed that to say every two years. Mm. But this year was a bit strange with two years and nine months as the the term of council. So what they've done in this one is they've said the first mayoral election, once you get the election done, so that happened for us on the 23rd of December, we had our first mayoral election, 2021. In September this year, across the state, those 93 councils all have to hold a mayoral election in September and then that will be for the last term of one year. So yep. rather than two two-year terms, it's a one-year and nine-month term and then yep. a one-year term. So that's the, the background to all of that, if you like. And so you basically have an election. That'll be a process where you'll nominate, have an election of that. You can choose whether or not you have a deputy mayor. Okay. Dubbo typically has a deputy yep. mayor, but it's well, not so compulsory. some places don't have a deputy? I don't. I can't think of anywhere, right. but it is part of the Local Government Act that you've got okay. to actually vote to have a deputy mayor position, and then you would also vote for the deputy mayor. Okay. And so they often talk about the mayoral term. So a lot of the committees, for example, a chair is elected for the mayoral term. Hmm. So at subsequent meetings after that, there'll be various things that'll happen after that. But so Thursday night, you can have an extraordinary meeting for a mayoral election. I've seen that happen in hmm. the past. In this one, I know when I was planning it with the CEO, I said, well, there's a normal council meeting, an ordinary meeting of council in September. We can just have it at the beginning of that. So it's just going to be the first item on the agenda. Pretty much. First item on the agenda will be the mayoral election. And then either I'll stay in the chair and chair the rest of the meeting or I'll step back down and sit back in one of the seats and then someone else will stand back up and take over the the whole role there. and, And if people want to watch the elections, they can simply jump online. It'll be live streamed again. It's the same as a normal meeting. Yep. The only thing that's different, and I've been involved with both ways, you actually vote as to whether or not you want to have the election by secret ballot or by open ballot. So is that part of each one? So it's not like a, a set thing each time that you have a secret ballot or you have an open ballot, depending which way Dubbo City Council wants to run or the regional council wants to run? Yeah, so you do it at the beginning of, before okay. the election. In the meeting, there'll be an agenda item that says, 
do we want it as an open ballot or a secret ballot? And then you vote on that and then you do it. So right. it's either by show of hands. And again, I've been involved in both. Mm-hmm. Either by show of hands, so everyone puts their hand up in front of the public live stream and that's the way the vote is. Yep. Or secret ballot, you have pieces of paper with the names on them and you tick a name or tick one yep. box there or how many there might be. And then you hand those in and then it's counted. So do people nominate on the night? Is that how it works? Or do you got to put your nomination in beforehand? You can nominate beforehand. You need... Two councillors to nominate, right? And you need to accept that nomination, and then that can be done on the night. But it's got to be if you do it on the night, you've got to do it in writing as well, right? Or it can be nominated beforehand. Okay. Yeah. Well, mate, listen. I wish you all the very, very best for Thursday night. I hope it all goes well for you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Now, because of the fact that, as I said, this may be uh, the last time we sit and chat uh, in regards scenario, I think maybe it might be worthwhile. Maybe just sort of. Let's revisit and review uh, the last 12 months or what was about 18, 19 months, whatever that time frame was you had there as, as the mayor. Um, just in regards to maybe some of the achievements and some of the areas that uh, you felt have gone well and maybe some of the things that you felt as though you didn't quite sort of reach where you wanted to get to. You happy enough to ask a few or answer a few questions on this one? Yeah, that sounds fine. So it's been 21 months. And 21 months, sorry. It's, that's that's, that's it. right. And it's been, if it's okay with you, and you ask the question, you ask whatever questions yeah. you want, you know, I'll answer anything that you yep. ask. But I, my focus, I prefer to be on council because I've made the point many times in the past, the important part for the mayor is to be the spokesperson for council, to yep. represent council, represent the community. But I don't make the decisions. Mm. The decisions are made by council. And so whatever, I'm not sure what questions you're going to ask me, but whatever sure. questions you're going to ask me, obviously the focus there will be presumably on what council has done. And again, it's a vote of council. I get one vote on council and then I've got to live with those decisions. All right, then we'll base on that. Then let's start with the very first one regards to, because when uh, you took over the role then as mayor, um, there was uh, eight new councillors who came on board with you for this little journey. Well, I'll be pedantic here. Yeah. There were nine brand new councillors to Dubbo Regional Council. Yes. But I'd served on a council before, so I'd served on Dubbo City Council. Councillor Vicky Etheridge had been on Dubbo Regional Council. So of the 10 councillors, nine were brand new to Dubbo Regional Council. So weren't actually sitting on the previous council, sort of That's moved right. into this and one. eight were brand new to council. So okay. I'd obviously had experience on council before. Vicky had experience on council before. Yep. So there were eight people who had no experience being on council, nine people, no experience on Dubbo Regional so Council. So I'm going to put on my teacher's hat here then. Uh, how did you help? these councillors and, and then as a councillor group to sort of to start to uh, to form a unit and get them interested in getting uh, regards to how do they go through motions and putting forward different ideas and, uh, you know, uh, anything along that sort of, you know, bringing forward notions of motion. Like what were some of the different uh, things that as a council you did? Well, the, the critical part of the beginning was training. And okay. that's something, some parts of the training now are compulsory and the Office of the Local Government dictates to councils across the state that you've got to do certain training. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that you pick up in training, but a lot of things you pick up in just general experience. So the first thing, we had the mayoral election. So on yep. the 23rd of December, we elected myself as mayor, Richard Ivey as deputy mayor. And so that to me was, okay, thank you. And I felt a large responsibility then because I'd had experience previously with Dubbo City Council Mm. and had experience previously as a mayor. So I spent almost five years as mayor of Dubbo City Council. I certainly did feel a large responsibility to say, well, Mm. as much as I can do, let's try and help and impart knowledge to the other very keen, very enthusiastic councillors. You you put into place there to try to get them all up to speed. Well, a lot of it was talking about things. And even in the training sessions, certainly Mm -hmm. I was talking about things from my experience. But I was actually very keen at the very first meeting of council, which didn't happen obviously until the next year, Mm -hmm. till 2022. 
one of the things that you can do as a counsellor is bring forward a notice of motion. Hmm. Now, it's not compulsory. You can be a great counsellor and never bring forward a notice of motion, but it's a way to direct some energies of counsel to certain things. And so yeah. I did actually say to all the counsellors, to get you into the swing of things, because a council meeting is not a normal way to conduct a meeting. It's very formal. Mm. It's very mm. stiff and very formal. And it is that way for a reason. And and I think it, it works well, but yeah. it's not like any other meeting that I've sat in in mm. lots of different committees and different things. It's much more formal than any of those yes, I've sat in. It's definitely not a free-for-all. It's not. And it's certainly not like state or federal government mm. because I do think they are free-for-all. Oh, absolutely, yes. It's like the bear pits sort of rolling along. That's right. Yes. It's much more respectful than that. So mm. it's, it is very serious, very respectful, but I really want to encourage them. So I actually did say to the councillors, if you've got an idea, if you want to bring forward a notice of motion, if you want to get into the swing of it straight away, if you've got some thing that you're passionate mm. about, Get into it at the first meeting. Don't wait around. Yeah. And it'll be a bit strange on how you do it, and yeah. we'll give you some help in terms of how that all works. Yeah. But get straight into it. And to their credit, all nine councillors brought forward a notice of motion Brilliant. to the very first meeting of council. And that, I think, got them straight into the swing of things. Yeah, at yeah. a council meeting, you had to stand up and talk. You had to put forward your notice of motion. You had to debate it, argue yep. for it. And so it just makes you feel comfortable. Mm. Of course, and I still remember back in my first meeting, the first time I spoke at the dinner afterwards, the couple of the staff there said, oh, that was your inaugural speech tonight, Matthew. And it wasn't really a formal inaugural yes. speech, but it did feel a bit like that yes. because yeah. I'd been to a couple of meetings where I just sat around to watch and learn and mm. I went, oh, I, I'm going to stand up and speak about something now. And it was a bit of a big moment. Yep. And I really felt like I wanted to get councillors to do something before that. So they did. They all moved that notice of motion. But there are lots of things you're doing on a constant basis. But again, it's all about keeping that team together. I mean, I started off that process with meeting with every councillor every month to sit down and say, let's talk about anything in particular. And again, you've got to fit in with schedules and fit Mm. in with what people want to do with that. But still to today, Mm. going through that process, making that offer to every councillor saying, let's sit down and talk, and and most of them take you up on that every month. As as a team analogy, it's almost like you're trying to say to them, listen, go out there and get an early touch of the ball. That's Um, exactly it. Spot on, actually, yeah. uh, Makes you feel more comfortable in the field and away you'll go. Yeah, make that first tackle, get that first touch, whatever it might be. That's it. And then you feel a bit more comfortable. So I think They've gelled. I think the whole group of councillors has gelled quite well, and Excellent. I'm I'm still really proud of the things that we're doing with our group of councillors. Now, to be quite honest, um, when you guys also took over there as council, you walked in a bit of a storm because one of the very first things that was sitting there hanging over your head was the performance improvement order, which. Um, was a bit of a hangover from uh, what had happened in the previous council. So how did you deal with this? Because I'd imagine this would have been, uh, for a lot of the newbies in particular, um, quite a difficult situation for them to be placed in. Well, I think hanging over the head is the perfect description of it. Mm. And it was new to me as well. I'd never been involved in a performance improvement order. In all my time on council, never before had our council ever been discussed in terms of needing a performance improvement Mm. order. And what that is, is the Minister for Local Government makes a decision at some point that things aren't going that well. Council's not behaving, maybe council's dysfunctional, Mm. and I don't think you're bad enough to sack you immediately, but I'm not really happy with the way you're going, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a performance improvement order. I want to see, this is the Minister for Local Government Mm. talking, I want to see some specific changes, some actions to address some of the issues that have been occurring, and by the way... I'm going to appoint someone to oversee you to make sure these things are happening. So there's no pressure there on these (laughs) movies, is there? (laughs) Not at all. And it it may well have been, 
a very short term of council. We might Absolutely. have gotten in there. Yeah. The things that the minister wanted to see didn't change quickly enough mm. or the feedback wasn't good enough. And so the next step on the negative side of that yeah. would be, sorry, you're in administration. I know you just got elected a little while ago. Mm. You're all gone. I'm putting an administrator in yeah. and then we'll go forward to maybe the next election. Yeah. So there was that hanging over our heads and certainly that was stressed in part of our training that mm. we've got some things in place now that have been put in place before we got elected. Mm to address some of these issues, but we had to make sure we kept things functioning well and we made sure that the council group were getting along together as a group because Mm. one of the ways that we could have gone downhill is if we're having fights, public fights in the media maybe, all sorts of things with councillors, that would have been certainly a flag to the minister to say... Well, particularly when all all eyes would have been on you anyway. Exactly right. In regards to how you're going to react to this. Yeah, so we went through that process. That eventually got lifted. I remember meeting with the Minister for Local Government after they got lifted and said, thank you very much Mm. for lifting that. I know there was a process to go through and I know you didn't lift it because you thought we were a nice group of people. There was a process that had to occur, but it was nice to have that gone to feel like we weren't suddenly being scrutinised on a minute-by-minute basis. So that was something certainly that we had to take care of. Mm. A process that made people, if they understood it, maybe a little bit nervous, Mm. but I think really just good behaviour, doing the right thing. It was always going to be lifted as long as we went through that process. That's right. Now, one of the first realisations I think you uh, stumbled across as council was the fact that there was no fluoride um, in the water. And it was one of the decisions, I think, that uh, council made pretty quickly, the new council made, in regards to trying to rectify this. Um, was this, uh, looking back on it, was this a difficult decision to make? I was hoping you might have left this one alone. I'm, I'm not particularly proud of the fluoride process that occurred there. Mm. Not that our council did anything wrong by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just a, a disappointing from the community perspective. As you know, January 2019, the fluoride dosing system stopped working at the water treatment plant. Yeah. And nothing was done about it. It was reported. The staff knew about it. The report went through to the various channels that it should have gone through to. But no action was taken about that whatsoever. When we found out about it, and we've told the story before, that Mm. it was almost a a bit of a chance discussion that we found out about the fact there was no fluoride going in the water, then certainly we had to take action. We engaged Public Works immediately Mm. to say, what is this? Can we fix this straight away? Mm. How are we going about it? But we've also got to tell the community. And I was very disappointed to have to say to the community, there's no fluoride in the water. It's a breach of the act, of the relevant act. We are in breach of that act right now because we're not putting fluoride in that water Mm. and you haven't been told about it. That was the thing that was probably most disappointing for me was that you can't get everything right. You can't be perfect in everything you do, but you've got to tell the community about what's going on. Absolutely. So we told the community, we put a process in place to get that rectified. Mm. So again, went through a process to work with Public Works to design a new system, put that out to tender. It's not fixed yet. We're I was going to say, because that, that process is still ongoing too, isn't it? That's right. We've awarded the tender. There's a company working on it as we speak, mm. and it will be done and up and operational. But again, that was a, a bit of a low point for mm. me to see where the failure possibly of the last council mm. to do the right thing then still was reflecting on this group of councillors even though yeah. we'd done nothing wrong but mm. discovered this and were taking action about it. So yeah, that was certainly disappointing. You could have left that one out if you wanted. <laughs> oh, this is the way I roll. Now, one of the other things that uh, looking back and reflecting through what it looks as though one of the big focuses for the, the current council was trying to bring the community together in a lot of ways, uh, trying to get different groups and different organisations to come back to the table and talk. Um, 
for example, some of the little things here uh, that I'm talking about here were just trying, number one, like trying to get more community consultation committees together again. It looked as though there for a while um, some of these consultation community groups had been sort of abandoned or uh, disbanded, is probably the better word. Uh, ideas like your mayoral developers forums and your community leaders breakfast, like all of these sort of things came about. Was that the whole aim of this? Was that trying to get community groups back together? They were good ideas when they were put together a long time ago. Mm. Some of these ideas were from decades ago, the community consultation committees. Yep. Some of them were for last time I was mayor. So sometimes if you've got a good idea, you can roll it out again. Yeah, yeah, and right. I know when I, I remember doing interviews when I first became mayor back in 2011, and I remember talking to some media outlets, mm. and some of them were saying, so what's your focus? What what you really want to do? And I did say at the time, and I still believe it now, mm. a really important part for me at that time and for mayors in general is to be really good at communicating with the public and engaging the community, making sure the community is along for the ride. We can have the best mm. ideas ever. We can sit around as 10 councillors, have yeah. the best ideas, and we're going to go and do this. But if we don't bring the community along with us, if we don't involve the community, then the community's not going to know about it, but also not going to be happy about it because mm. they're just not involved in that process. So you're right, we formed 15 community consultation committees. I remember having a, a workshop, there were bits of butcher's paper all over the wall, we had councillors right, in there, yes, staff yes. members, every committee that ever existed previously on other iterations of council, they're all over these, and we had to narrow those down and get them to the point where you don't want to put an onerous workload on our staff, mm. but you also want to make sure there's good communication. So that was one, and you mentioned yeah, the Mayoral Developers Forums, they were going, they started back in 2011, they were going, yeah. they dropped off for whatever reason, so we've started those up again, and now mm. there's so much development happening, we talked about the building approvals mm. last week, so much development happening, incredibly important to have those people involved in the development community, all they're ready to keep doing things in Dubbo, hmm. making sure we can keep addressing the demands that are going to be put on us. And, of course, the community leaders' breakfast. When we first started those, again, that was about a decade ago, yeah. unique in Australia. Still, no one else in this nation is doing it. No one else right? in the Still nation. Still, to this day, even after all this. After all this time, no one in this nation do you have a federal government representative, a state government representative, a local government representative yeah. standing side by side on a regular basis in an open forum and say, mm. come and tell us your problems. Yeah, yeah. Tell us what's happening. So we've got those back up and going again. We're doing them in both Wellington and Dubbo. Yep. And the next one in Dubbo actually is on the 7th of October. That'll go ahead, hopefully, whether I'm mayor or not. Yep. But they're, I think, very important to, again, keep that open communication. Yeah. And it stops the buck passing. No good someone ringing me and say, oh, that's not our problem. That's the state or the federal government's problem. And it may or it may not be. But when you've got all three side by side, yeah, yeah. it's actually quite nice. To be able to ask the same question to you know, three different people from three different levels. But I yeah. often bring them together. So if someone asks me a question that is a state government issue, yeah. I'll say, okay, let's go over here to our state government rep, Dougal Saunders is here, yeah. or our federal government rep, Mark Coulton's here. And here ask a question in yeah. front of me or I'll yeah. direct it there so you can see it's not buck passing, it's the reality of the situation. Yes. And council can't be responsible for everything. No. Council has got its role, a very defined role, and you need to make sure you're engaging the other levels of government when it's their point or yeah. their spot to do that. Now, speaking of the importance of uh, bringing communities together, uh, one of the biggest areas, of course, is in regards to the ongoing nature of reconciliation. And may I suggest that uh, this was probably a strong part of the reason why the change of format to Australia Day. Boy, oh boy, you cop some flack over this. Um, do, do you look back on it? you still feel as though it was a good decision? It was a council decision, so of course oh, I'm going to yes, be in favour of, of it. it as a spokesperson. Right. You personally didn't happen to do this, but the council, of course. That's right, but as a spokesperson for the council, then I'm always going to support council decisions. Mm. That's, that's defined in my role, and I will do that. Having said that, 
I think sometimes you've got to make bold and courageous decisions mm. and it's a fine line. I've talked about it before. Listening to feedback from the community and doing what the community wants yeah. and making decisions that you know in your heart of hearts will be good for the community going forward. This was one that certainly councillors were making a very tough decision on mm. because some people were accusing council of getting rid of Australia Day or changing the date of Australia Day, and it yeah. wasn't about that. So this it's is a celebration, back, wasn't it, really? Or, what, it, or so much the recognition of it, the date a, of. It's about, exactly right, it's about when you actually have your ceremony. Mm. Now, we go back to the end of 2022, and we were making the decision for Australia Day 2023. We've been negotiating with the Department of Home Affairs, and negotiation's not the right word. Mm. We've been asking and getting a no from the Department of Home Affairs multiple times in multiple different ways about changing the date of our ceremony and Dubbo and Wellington away from the 26th a twilight event. We wanted mm. to do it. We eventually came up with nothing for Dubbo. We couldn't get the Department of Home Affairs on board. Right. We would be in breach of the policy from the federal government, which I didn't think was a good thing to do mm. for the federal government. Mm. In Wellington, we could do the ceremony as a twilight event. So we did do it. And yes, you're right. We copped some negative feedback. We copped mm. some abuse about that but I still think then it was the right decision and mm. I think afterwards people and some people even said to me I wasn't in favour of that but I went along to mm. see how big a failure it would be yep. and uh, it was actually okay I so thought it was right. quite a good so idea it sort of worked okay and it freed up Australia Day the 26th as a public holiday for people to do whatever they wanted to on the day without having any ceremony in the morning mm. Mm. so it was interesting that Andrew Giles the relevant minister mm. changed the policy that then allows next year people to actually have, or people, councils to have their ceremony on a three-day before and a three-day after yes. window around Australia Day. Yes. So not just because of Dubbo, but I'm sure other councils around the nation were trying to do the same thing. So well, I think that kind of almost gives us some vindication for our decision, the fact that they changed absolutely. the policy. Well, in many, many ways, uh, as the old line goes, that, you know, the first through the brick wall always gets hurt the most. And uh, yeah, being the first through the brick wall, you've at least now created an opportunity here for others to walk past and uh, to walk in there with you, which is great. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think in the end, yes, still a good decision. Mm. And sometimes you've got to challenge the norm to make these progressive decisions. Yeah. The Regent Park Master Plan. It was another controversy that uh, suddenly blew up, I'd suggest, when uh, you walked in on this space and the council walked in on it. Um, there was a lot of controversy surrounding this too at the time and there was a lot of, uh, you know, mud being slung across the, the field towards different uh, bodies. Um, looking back on this too in regards to this master plan and, and particularly the oval scenario down there uh, on South Dubbo side, Looking back, do you feel as though this was handled well and that uh, this, things are moving forward now with this? You're not leaving me alone on the, on the tough stuff, are you? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was controversial, definitely. Mm. And I think controversial for all the wrong reasons. I absolutely believe that the way council approached this could not have been done any better. It was an open, transparent process People were throwing around all sorts of accusations. A lot of it was social media silly stuff. <laughs> but a lot of accusations were thrown around about all sorts of deals done behind closed doors, all sorts of yes. accusations about things not being done in an open and transparent yep. way. And it got to the point where I actually spoke to one of the consultants. I actually ran into one of the consultants one day at Sydney Airport. And she said the most disappointing part for her was all of these various accusations were disappointing that were being made about council laws mm. and about council staff. And I hadn't thought about it until she mentioned it to me. She said, it actually means that people are really saying that the consultancy firm we're using 
was not doing things the right way mm. as well, mm. which then suddenly the next time they're putting in for jobs, someone says, oh, aren't you the ones that do things in a dodgy way because we heard about what happened in Dubbo? Yeah. So it was yeah. actually harming their reputation as well, which yeah. obviously she was disappointed about the whole process there. But it's interesting now, we've now got a master plan for the south end and for the north end of Macquarie River. So Regan Park called it, that was the south end, but the whole master planning was about Big picture about strategy, about making sure we were doing things in a strategic manner, not an ad hoc manner. Yep. And so, again, I think this happened in the last council a little bit. There was some an organisation that wanted to put some footy over there. Sure, let's just go and do it. Mm. Well, hold on. Is that part of our strategy? Mm. Is that part of what we should be doing? So there was a Regan Park master plan there initially back from the Dubbo City Council days. Yep. The last council rescinded that, made changes, bit ad hoc. We were keen to get it back and done correctly. And I think where we are today, yeah. we've got an excellent master plan for the south end and the north end of the Macquarie River. Mm. We've got a strategy now, a process to go forward with, and we've got various organisations, and Macquarie Titan Mud Run is one of those, mm. that have got money they want to put towards different projects. So we've now got a master plan. We can yep. say, oh, yes, on this master plan, we could tick off this part and this part. It'll be a process over the next 10, maybe even 20 years, yeah. where we'll address the various parts of that master plan, but you've got to have that master plan to work towards. Mm. So mm. I'm very comfortable where they're at. Wonderful. I'm very comfortable that all of the silly accusations that were thrown around, all the silliness that we you heard You don't there, hear any of that anymore. You don't hear any of that anymore. Uh. We also don't hear those people saying, actually, we got it wrong. Council did do it the right way, which would be <laughs> lovely to hear that, but of course we don't hear that. I wouldn't that. be holding your breath. No, that's right. But I think councillors stayed true to a course. Mm. We knew we were doing things in the right way. We didn't suddenly change what we were doing about it all. All the things where people wanted to get her information mm. and get information out to prove that he said something or she said something else. Mm. The reality is, when you look back at it now, it seems like a lot of silliness for something that was a good process that we went through. Mm. That's finished now. We've all moved on. But also, I think it gave councillors a bit of comfort that, yes, we were doing things in a good way. Yeah. I know you're a big advocate of this, Matt, uh, the whole notion of uh, taking action in regards to climate change and, and how that's uh, impacting us across the board here. Just very briefly, uh, what, what do you think has, has been some of the big achievements that Council has, uh, has made in regards to this, in regards to really trying to take some, leading the way, you talked about this before, about showing leadership. Uh, what has been some, of, what been some of the leadership decisions that you feel Council has made in regards to dealing with climate change? Some people would say, don't worry about it. We're only 55,000 people. What's it matter what we do? Because we're not going to make a difference across the 7 billion people across the world. Mm. But if everyone thought that way, no one would take any action. So I really think mm. that everyone, every individual, every organisation, every council, every t city, every town, etc., they've all got to take some action. If we all do that, then everyone will go, wow, wasn't that good? What's a great line? Think globally, act locally. Something like that. Exactly yeah. right. Yep. Perfect. So we've done a few things, I think, that I think have had actually made a difference. And some of those are direct actions we can take, but other ones show leadership that help people go down that path. One of them definitely was our electric vehicle process and electrical yes, policy. Yes. I've said it before, the very first mayoral car in this nation mm. that was electric was in Dubbo City Council Great, back in it? 2015. Yeah. The mayoral vehicle was electric as the first official mayoral vehicle. When I got elected again... I said, well, I want to go back. It had been a petrol car in between. Mm. I want to go back to an electric car again. The policy was too complicated to go down that path. And I said, that's fine. I'll just go and buy an electric vehicle. I'll use it as the official mayoral vehicle, mm. but don't council go and buy it. Sure, I get reimbursed for the kilometres I do, but it's, but it's my expense. It's my mm. cost, if you like. And again, I think that shows some leadership. But 
on the back of that and on the back of some things that have been changing, our fleet manager put together a report for council to show the total cost of ownership of a vehicle over four years. We've got 58 of our vehicles at council that are SUVs and passenger vehicles as part of our light vehicle fleet. Some of those are staff cars when you get a job, as with mm. many jobs. So in terms of that, there's opportunity for some vehicles to change EVs, some vehicles mm. not. But our light vehicle fleet, there's an opportunity there, definitely. And again, yeah. in particular with staff vehicles, you've got an opportunity there. But the problem was our current policy said as part of your staff package, you get paid X dollars a year mm. and you're allowed to pick a car from this pool of cars that are under this value. It might have been $30,000 or $35,000, for example. But EVs are dearer than that. Mm. Now, our fleet manager said, well, this is a problem because the policy doesn't allow our staff to do it, but I understand that it might be cheaper, so let's investigate that further. He put together an excellent report that laid out the upfront costs of the vehicle, laid out the depreciation costs, the running costs, because yep. petrol's getting dearer and dearer and yeah. electricity's very cheap. So I went through that whole, uh, and sorry, electricity's cheap, electricity's cheap to run a car. Yeah, so we'll, right. we'll, we'll yes. jump on that and say, exactly. hold that's on, right. electricity's will cheap. Jump on you big time on that <laughs> that's one. right. Running a car via electricity yeah. is much cheaper than running a car via petrol. So I put together that. Now what he showed, he brought a report to council and showed that if you take an equivalent vehicle of the same type of vehicle, but the electric version of that might be, say, $20,000 dearer, mm. Over a four-year cost of that to council, what's it look like? And it showed unequivocally that those equivalent electric models were cheaper on a per-kilometre cost mm. than the petrol vehicles. So essentially what he said after that was, well, we should be buying electric vehicles yep. for our light vehicle fleet. Now, we fully understand that electric vehicles aren't appropriate for every staff member in every particular position. Yeah. But it just, that report alone gave the flexibility to allow the fleet manager and the general manager yeah. to allow a staff member to buy an electric vehicle as their staff car, even though it might have been dearer than the petrol version, knowing that over a four-year time frame, it's actually going to be cheaper for the mm. community. Mm. And we've already got now, as a result of that, we've got staff that are driving Teslas, we've got staff right. that are driving MGs. Now, people yeah. might have a heart attack and go, oh, Teslas, they're expensive. They're nowhere near as expensive as they used to be, yep. but they're still more expensive than a car. But when you read that report, then without a doubt, yep. people would say, well, I'm crazy for buying a petrol car unless they particularly need something that mm. the petrol car offers for them. Mm. But based on cost, even though it's dearer, if I look at that four-year cost of ownership, yeah. it's actually cheaper. That's it. So that was one. And we're actually seeing now that report, I know there are other government departments, there are other individuals, other people in different companies, private companies, that have read that report and they've told me that yep. they're changing how Based they're going report. about. Yeah, that's right. So definitely leadership there, yep. taking action ourselves, but showing leadership. And I've done that a bit myself when I've been driving electric cars over the last seven years. Yeah. I feel You've like seen a, the benefits. Well, I've, I feel like a bit of a leadership role there yeah. too, showing people that it's okay to drive an electric yes. car. You can drive an electric car and live in a regional area. Yeah, that's it's right. okay. Actually, one of the other things there in regards to talk about electricity, uh, remember talking about renewable energy um, from the point of view of some of your, your smaller major sites and larger sites. Did you, what, what happened there again? So we've got two new contracts that we've taken out. Right. One was our small sites electricity contract. Mm. Now, we were trying to do the best we could for the community in terms of cost, but we also had one eye on renewables there. And so if we could find a contract that was reasonable, was cheaper maybe, but within the ballpark yep. of a non-renewable electricity contract, then we thought we'd go down that path. As it turned out, we actually saved $100,000 per year wow. over the previous electricity contract by going to a fully renewable energy contract mm. for our small sites. Now, we also had our large sites, mm. and we were keen to do the same, but we couldn't quite get the equation to match up. Mm. So 
with the large sites, we took out a new contract that started off with a percentage as renewables, and then through a step process, we'll get to the stage within that term of contract where we're using 100% renewables. Oh, so okay, yep, still on the board. That's right, and that's good for both those. But again, yeah. I've had people say to me, oh, that's good, you've got those small sites now. I've been looking around for various electricity contracts and seeing if I can get one that's all renewables as well. Yep. Again, you might have solar panels on your roof, but if you're still buying some electricity, then see if you can buy it mm. from somewhere else. That's great. We've also got our net zero policy out on public exhibition, and that's a really tough one. We've talked before about how much of our greenhouse gases are produced from council, from our overall footprint, mm. from our tip. I was going to say the tip was the big thing, wasn't it? Remember, there's yeah. 37% off the top of my head or something no, like that? No, keep going higher than oh, that. Oh, really? Was it yeah, more than that, was yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. We're talking approximately 62% of all council's greenhouse gas emissions being attributable to our landfill. That's a challenge for us yes. to see what we can do there. But our net zero policy, again, it's on public exhibition as mm. we speak. But I think that can show the community that we've got some leadership there as well, but also try and address that ourselves. So taking some small actions, doing some things ourselves, I think we can start to solve that problem, but also lead the community mm. down the path. Council can only solve one part of the problem. We've got 55,000 residents yeah. to help solve that overall problem. Look here, uh, another little one, Matt. Uh, very quickly, the decision to turn around, and because for many, many years, all the council meetings were, were always going to be held in Dubbo, but the decision was made, uh, particularly being now Dubbo Regional Council with Wellington and Dubbo, that uh, some of the meetings are now held down in Wellington. Has, has that been a success? I think it's been a success. It's a bit more work for councillors based in Dubbo to drive down to Wellington, mm. our staff to drive down to Wellington. But after the amalgamation, some meetings were being held in Wellington, and again, not sure why, but that was changed, so meetings were always held in Dubbo. If we're going to be one community, it seems fair and reasonable that you hold some meetings down there. So that certainly changed. Yeah. This council changed that. On the mayor election on Thursday, mm. that's where you also set the dates and the locations for the meetings for the next year. Oh, okay. So it's all set out in that first meeting. That's right. So at this meeting, it could change. But yeah. I hope councillors do keep it as having meetings in Wellington on a regular basis because mm. I think mm. that's important to go down to that Wellington community. And Absolutely. for some councillors, it's a good chance just to go down and talk to some Wellington residents, have a look at things that might be happening down yeah. there because we are responsible for all of them and we've got to give everything equal weighting. We can't say, oh, I'm a Dubbo councillor. I'll right. pay more f attention or focus more on Dubbo. Yeah. You are a councillor for the whole LGA. That goes for Wellington councillors as well. Mm. And it also goes for... The wards, when we were elected in the various wards, the five wards, wards will be gone at the next election, but at this council, yep. we're all elected in wards. You're not representing the ward. Once you're elected, you're elected by that ward, but you've then got to make decisions that are for the betterment of the whole LGA. And that can mm. be a challenge because mm. people in your ward might say, Mark, I elected you from ABC ward. Mm. Why are you doing this, which is better for DEF ward? And you've got to do what's best for the whole, whole, whole LGA overall. You know, I'm going to put it out here. I'm going to be so looking forward when they get rid of the wards. Mm. The swimming pool was another uh, big one in regards to the management of the swimming pools. There's three of them, of course, Dubbo, Geary and Wellington. Um, the decision to turn around and to put it back to a private operator, um, I don't think there was too many people were sort of uh, opposed to this, but just talk me through very, very quickly again uh, the, the feelings and the reasons behind why this change happened. I don't know why the change happened in the first place. It was managed externally, mm. and I thought the external operator did a good job and then it was brought internal to council. And I think most people recognised running a pool from council staff is hard because you've only got an operation that runs six months of the year. What do you do with your staff for the other yeah. six months of the year? So that was a challenge to start with. Whereas a contractor, that's their job to handle that. Yeah. And running a business like the pool is very specialised. You really need someone that 
knows that operation inside and out. Mm. And our staff, as great as they are, cover lots of different areas. They're probably not specialised running a pool. So we went through that process. We looked at the costs of that. We had a whole range of things to look at. In the end, council said, yes, let's go back out external. Mm. We'll go out for expression of interest for that process rather than a tender. Mm. A subtle difference there between EOIs and tenders, and we wanted to have a bit more flexibility, which is why we went EOI. And we got applications that came in, fantastic. And we then awarded the process there, the EOI process, we awarded that management to Belgravia. Mm. So they're now running it that started already. So they're into it. They're running it. They're running all three pools. The main reason, well, I can't really talk why other councils made a decision. There was certainly a discussion at the council meeting about the cost savings. Now, it costs every community I know that runs a pool, every council that runs a pool, they're always running them at a loss. You're trying to minimise that loss mm. as much as possible. There was certainly a significant cost saving when we looked at the figures of what it was costing us to run internally and what the price came in from an external operator. Yeah. And so I think most councillors probably made the decision based on the reduced cost we are very tight on our budget regardless. Mm. If we can reduce the cost somewhere, that would be a good thing. So it's running external now. Yep. They've got a long-term contract. Seems to be contract. going well. There's no, no complaints so far. So far, all seems good. And yeah. I think there's a bit of, uh, uh, hopefully, an opportunity there for an external operator who runs lots of pools across mm. not just Australia, but I think Australia and New Zealand as well. Yeah. I think there's an opportunity there for them to say, we do this in some other centres, why don't mm. you do this here? Mm. So I think there's a, a bit of a vision there from the operators and hopefully yeah. from our community as well to say, this is exciting. Yes. We might have some different expertise brought to the table here. Yes. So, so far, so good. Let's hope it continues to run Absolutely. that way. I would imagine, Matt, because uh, I know we've spoken about this uh, at length in regards to the renewable energy zone. Um and how some councils around the place uh, haven't really embraced it, but Dubbo's Regional Council has definitely embraced the Renewable Energy Zone. Do you feel as though this is one of the proudest things you can probably walk away from as a, as a group when the time comes in regards to the fact that you were, as a council, so proactive in regards to trying to uh, really promote this? I think the biggest advantage we have here with these res is if we play it right, this has the potential to fundamentally change Wellington. Mm. And Wellington, I think, could really get a huge benefit, probably more so than Dubbo, Mm. out of the renewable energy zone. Now, one of the things that we've done already is we put together a renewable energy planning framework, a 1.5% of the capital investment cost over the life of the project. That there is a policy that already has been looked at by other councils and being adopted in either the same or similar format by other councils. So I think that's important. But I think you're right, it's that enthusiasm, the approach, the proactive approach, already they've said that they're changing the zone, the renewable energy zone, the central west Irana renewable energy zone mm. from a three gigawatt size to six gigawatts. So doubling that, mm. that'll double the investment. We're talking about an extra probably $10 billion of investment to come in from mm. that. Mm. If we can get it right, if we can get the REAC, the Renewables Education and Activities Acti- Centre. That's the one. If we can get that up and running, that will transform the community in terms of I'll tourism. I'll be the first on top of that wind turbine, by the way. Exactly. That would be fantastic. If mm. we can get some projects that are leaving legacy funds, legacy employment, et cetera, yeah. in Wellington, I think this is a real that's, that's the big thing, isn't it? I think that's the ongoing thing there to see if we can still get some serious money out of this. That's the, the real challenge. And if we can play it right, that's the thing. So when you say, is this your proudest moment, in 10 years' time, yeah. hopefully this Council continues on, the next council continues on. Hopefully this continues on as much as I can. I'll certainly focus on making sure we 
get benefits from it. Yeah. But if we can get that right, that's where this will be transformational. Yes. And you're right, some of the areas are still trying to lock the gates. We're, we're opening our arms and saying, yeah. please come along, take advantage of it. It's happening. The new economy, I keep talking about renewables, is the yes. new economy. The, mining is not the economy anymore. Mm. This is the new economy. We are at the forefront of that. If mm. we can take advantage of it, that will be a huge change for our mm. community. I love your passion for it. Well, I suggest that uh, one of the biggest controversies which just did not seem to want to go away was the alcohol and drug facility. Um, now, it, it's still obviously around from the point of view of the fact that the decision still has not been made yet by a state government to finalise off on this. Um, and I know the fact that uh, council here has, has been objecting to the proposed site now for a long while, but it's, it created a huge controversy and, and it seems to settle down a little bit, but where do you feel as though this is going to end up? You really haven't left me alone on the tough ones, have you? <laughs> <laughs> so the alcohol and other drugs facility is a state government facility. And I think we've finally gotten to the point now where the community understands a bit more about it. I think the community finally is believing the fact that council never has mm. promised to gift land to the state government for this facility. There's been discussions, there's been people chatting about mm. it, there's been potential but there's been no commitment to gift land. So I think mm. the community finally realises that. Mm. The community also realises that we don't say where it goes. Mm. If it was a council facility, if we were deciding to put in a new water treatment plant or a new sewage treatment plant, we can make a decision within the realms of zoning and what is legal. Yeah. We can make a decision of where it goes. A state government-owned facility... They will put where they want to put. Now, we have a formal objection. There's a council resolution to say that we formally object to the Spears Drive location. We do. Mm. This council objects to that location. Yep. This council does Which not Which clearly think, stated on many times. That's right. This mm. council does not think it is in the right location. Do we have the power to move it? No. Have I spoken to the minister? Yes. Have I sent letters to the minister? Yes. We've expressed council's decision about that resolution to say we object to the location. But we cannot make them change it. If we could, mm. obviously the fact that we object to it, we would change mm. the location. Mm. So I think people are finally realising that council can object to it. We can say we don't need the right location. Offering parcels of land is not going to change the location. We've got that clearly stated in a letter back from Health to say that, sure, we can look at parcels of land, but yeah. we'll choose the best parcel. They also have, as we've talked about, compulsory acquisition powers. They also have the ability to knock on a door and say, we've got compulsory acquisition powers. Mm. Do we need to use those? But surely if you're council, we want this other land. Can't we negotiate and come up with something? Yeah. Not even that has happened. They will choose the parcel of land that they think suits them best. They've chosen that. They believe it's to be Spears Drive. I think the people that are opposing it now finally realise that and are focused on the state government yeah. to change that. Again, the disappointment in all of this, there's been a bit of scuttlebutt Yep. Lots of social media commentary around council did this, council did that, ignoring the fact. And, and some people might even say trying to blame council for a state mm. government decision. It might have been convenient for them to try and blame council for a decision that was made by another level of government. Mm. I think, again, councils have been pretty clear in this whole process that we don't agree with this location and let's go through a process where yep. the state government knows about that and hopefully they will change that location. Well, I'm sure you'll agree with me, the fact that let's hope in the next uh, the next term anyway uh, that a decision is made by state government in regards to the placement of this facility, which is well and truly needed. And that's the bottom line. It's well and truly needed. Everyone agrees on that. Let's get it happening. Hopefully let's get it happening in a different location. But again, I think councillors 
been shown to have done the right thing mm. all the way through this process. Looking back, do you feel as though there's been uh, any issues that uh, that council hasn't really sort of resolved? Ideas and thoughts that you thought, look, at the start of this, this term, um, we really want to focus on this and get this sorted out. Is there anything in particular um, that you feel as though there's something there that you think, oh, look, we've really got to try to next term, hopefully we can get that resolved? Well, I didn't actually realise there were so many little things hiding away under rocks that you kick and suddenly something <laughs> pops up out at you. Yep. I, my experience with council before from 2004, when I was first elected on council, things were going along okay then and things mm. kept going along okay. There was no big surprise that jumped out at you. And I suppose that's been a little bit frustrating in this term of council is that you want to get in and do positive things and make great positive changes, mm. but you've just found some things that, oh, we've got to fix that up first. We've got to get mm. that going. We've got to make sure that's right before we can move forward. And fluoride you mentioned before mm. was probably one of those things. Yep. And there's probably a few little things, and I won't dwell on them at length, but probably a few little things that have been a bit frustrating. And, and maybe we haven't got to a final resolution for some of those, and maybe there isn't an easy final resolution. Yep. But probably one of the ones that was frustrating was that $5 million that was spent on a pipeline oh, yes, to nowhere. Oh, yes, discussion, yes. Yeah, yes. and you just look at that and you look through, I've looked through the business papers, I've looked through the decision-making process and yep. I, I just scratched my head. That was very frustrating. That's $5 million we could have spent on more bores, for example. $5 yep. million we could have spent anywhere else in our water network. Mm. We built a pipeline, and not this council again, last council, built yep. a pipeline that would take treated effluent from the sewage treatment plant mm. and take that water down to use it to water fields down along the riverbank Which near the water treatment plant. Which I think in, in principle was probably not such a bad idea, but the process that went about, I think, was the problem, wasn't it? There was quite clear, when I read some of those past reports, it was quite clear to me that you couldn't use that water because it wasn't treated to a high enough standard. Because mm, that was and the was problem, even, wasn't it? It was the treatment of that water. Correct. And it was yeah. even mentioned in the reports that you would need to spend a lot of money yeah. to treat that water to a level mm. that you could then go and use it to water those fields. Do you have any ideas then and thoughts in regards to what maybe council could do with this? Well, look, it is a, a bit of a random one, but we're getting some renewable energy projects okay. that are looking at hydrogen. So they're saying, well, with all the renewable energy around here, we could maybe have a, a plant that produces hydrogen, mm. takes water and then basically takes the hydrogen from that, okay. H2O, right. and take that, and there's a fair bit of energy needed for that, but you've got sometimes excess energy to do that. They need water. So maybe it's something we could say, we've got some of these are near the sewage treatment plant. We've got some treated effluent that's not treated to a high enough standard now that you could use for your hydrolysis process. But if you treat it to a high enough standard, you could do that. You would have to pay for that. But that also means that, oh, in a dry year, we could use those purple pipes that are under the ground. That's stretching it a little bit in terms of what we might be able to do with it. Mm. At the moment, we've really just got pipes on the ground that we can't use because they just didn't go through a proper process. Yeah, right. Just very briefly, a couple of other ones that, that we're kind of fixing up that haven't been fixed up yet. We've got land that was purchased at Talbragar Street. Right, yes. No business case. Don't know why. Oh, this one near the uh, opposite the, the pool there, That's isn't right. it? Yeah. Maybe it was for parking for the pool, but there's a lot of money, millions of dollars spent yeah. on maybe some parking for the pool. Yeah. So we're going through a process now, LI, to sell or lease that off there. Yeah. So that was one that just was a bit frustrating. Why do we why yeah. do we end up with that? And the other one was that land swap deal between the RSL club and council. Oh, yes, yes. So the old Dubbo yep. City Bowling Club for some land up at Keswick. And you kind of say to yourself, why did we do a land swap deal? If you, mm. if you want that land to any organisation, here's mm. the price, sell it or take it to auction. If we want the old Dubbo City Bowling Club, then we should go and buy it. But again, there wasn't a strategic reason. There was no strategy around that Dubbo City Bowling Club. I don't understand why we've got it. So that mm. didn't seem to be a great deal. And that's still 
ongoing at the moment as we speak. That's still sitting there, no final resolution to that. So there's a couple of little ones there, I suppose, that I feel like we haven't gotten there in terms of fixing them up yet yeah. and maybe we're not ever going to get there and fix them up properly. Yeah. But a bit frustrating with that rear view mirror. Mm. But again, you're always trying to look forward and That's see right. how you can make things better in the future. Mm. Nice little segue you've provided for me there, actually, in regards to uh, make things better for the future. This council seems to be uh, really focused on strategic, strategic plans, um, the importance of creating strategy. Um, so, again, just briefly, what have been some of the, the key strategic plans that you feel as though have been put into place, thinking forward in regards to where the future direction of Dubbo is going to lie? One thing that's really important, I think, for a council, and good councils do this, is think strategically, look forward, look 5, 10, 20 years down the track, and if you get those things right, then the community absolutely benefits. And I think we've done that with some of our housing in the past, for example, yeah. we need more housing now. We've come in and out of land development as it might have been needed. But with our whole, all the planning we've done with our northwest urban release area, I think yeah. that's really setting us up for the future. Yeah. I think that's important. Even with housing, the fact that we went out with Keswick, put some more lots on the market, but the market was very hot at the time. And I love the fact that this council has been prepared to try things. Mm. So I think the attempt at selling those blocks via auction it didn't work that well, mm, mm. but the fact that we were prepared to try something a bit different, yeah, we've never bit done bold, that. Yeah, bit different. We've never yeah. done that before on such a large scale, and we only sold, I think we've sold 13 at the moment out of the 52 lots. We'll sell the rest, but we probably missed the mark by a few months mm. there. If we had have gotten mm. them on the market a bit earlier, I think we would have sold them at really good prices and would have sold lots of them. Yeah. But again, I think that strategy, looking forward to that, and even yeah. our 3D printed toilet that we've talked about before. Yes, yes, even, many occasions. Yes. Even that, from a strategic process, I think we're looking strategically there at how we're going to do housing in the future. There's a housing yeah. shortage everywhere. If we can be the community that nails housing, yeah. if we can get it right, then all these people that are trying to get out of metropolitan areas, all these people that are mm. coming to the country, mm. then surely we can be ahead of the game there, ahead of the curve there. Yeah. We're also doing some important work, I think, on just some other strategic processes. So, for example, South Dubbo Bridge. Yes. That had been talked about for a little while, and it's not something we're going to build tomorrow. We need to work out exactly where that South mm. Dubbo Bridge will go, mm. and then we need to go out and start looking at funding sources for that. So I think that's mm. putting that back into that long-term strategy that had kind of dropped off a bit yep. and the same with our southern distributor mm. and our Blue Ridge Link Road we're getting more and more people living in West Dubbo they need to move around the community more so that South Dubbo Bridge that'll tie in with some form of southern distributor mm. which again we've been going out we've been acquiring the land mm. for that and I would argue that we shouldn't have had to do land acquisition for that in the way we've had to do it it probably should have been done years ago mm. when that land was probably worth a lot less than what we've had to pay for it now mm. so again a bit disappointing that strategy had been forgotten about there Blue Ridge Link Road, Sheraton Road, those things again, tidying up some of those, getting strategy back on the path there. Yep. And we'll eventually have a road that comes off Mitchell Highway going down through Blue Ridge and linking into that southern distributor. Again, we're doing that strategic work now. Mm. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but I think we should be in a really good place for that. And even, it seems like a simple one, but it should have been done, the harmonisation of our water and sewage rates between the two old councils. Yep. When you have the amalgamation, you've got to get your rates done by a certain period of time. But you don't have to have water and sewage rates the same. And it just seems to make sense. If you mm. want community, why are people in Dubbo paying a different amount for their water compared to people in Wellington? It doesn't mm. make sense. Mm. And that was kind of ignored by the last council. But harmonising that, 
that's a strategic process. So I think lots of little strategic processes yeah. like that have been put in place, and well, I think we're now looking towards the future a lot more. Yeah, and I think the other big thing you were sort of uh, alluding to here, of course, you've just suddenly given direction too to the next uh, term of council in regards to these areas that they're not suddenly going to be resolved tomorrow. They're, it's all part of just not necessarily the next term of council. There's probably another couple of whole groups of councils coming forward that can actually help you know, develop this plan even further, or these plans even further. Well, the boundary road connections are classic. Mm. This group of councils, councillors, got to cut the ribbon on the boundary road extension. Mm. Fantastic. The planning for that started back when I was on council before. So go. we're going yeah. back before 2016. In fact, way before that, mm. the planning started. But then the final part of that started towards the end of my time on council. Yeah. And here we are now, all these years later, cutting the ribbon on something that's a very important piece of road. Yeah. So that's what happens. You, you're right. If you do the strategy right now, you're not realising some of these things for mm. one or two terms of council, yeah. but they're things that should be in place and you should be going, well, thank you to the last group of councillors 10 yeah. years ago that's who put right. that strategy you in place. the foresight and the strategy to develop this. You know, uh, I look back and I'm a sporting man at heart. I, I still love my sport, as you know. And I think in a lot of the podcasts, some of the stuff I'd really enjoy talking about uh, have been some of these new events that have sort of come to fruition over the course of the last 12 months. Um, there's been lots of them, Matt. Uh, what have been some of your highlights? Well, you're right. There's lots of them and lots of ones that just keep turning up each year. Mm. There's lots of cricket tournaments we have that the cricket, the, the junior cricket this is, they just keep turning up each year and, and lots of those groups. So lots of those have happened, but probably a couple of the exciting ones from my perspective have been ones that are new and big. So ones that we haven't had before, and they've been big ones. So the first one of those is the New South Wales Touch Junior State Cup for the Northern Conference. Yep. Through some luck, the particular city that had that contract for a three-year contract yep. didn't, or the New South Wales Touch wanted to take it away from them. So we put our hand up and said, we'll just have it for the last year mm. of their three-year contract. Mm. So it was a bit of luck there that we got a chance to do that. But again, you get a chance to grab it with both hands. You take your chances, that's it. So we grabbed that and we put on an absolutely wonderful mm. event. New South Wales Touch did a wonderful job as well, but yep. in terms of providing the facilities and the community and everyone opening their arms to that whole event. Mm. So that was fantastic. And then we put in the bid for the next three years mm. and we won that. So we've now had that New South Wales Touch Junior State Cup for this year. We'll also have that for 24, 25, 26. Yep. And the other one that I think is fantastic is the New South Wales Bowls Championships for the state. Yes, it's very exciting, isn't it, still? It is. And again, for bowls, they've done their state championships. They say, we have moved them out regional, but they kind of think Newcastle and Wollongong are regional. So they've typically done them around the Sydney area, maybe gone to the outskirts of Sydney. The provincial areas. Provincial areas, but never before have they come across the mountains, never Mm. before they've gone to what I would call real regional. There they are. And I think a bit of credit here should go to Club Dubbo, who... On their own volition, they went out and put on the richest bowls tournament in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm, Fantastic. Mm. Well done. Mm. And I think from that, New South Wales Bowls said, what's this club out in Dubbo doing? They're putting on this tournament. They've got a huge amount of prize money. They've got all these great players coming to play for that prize money. What's going on there? Let's have a bit of a look at that. And when they realised that you actually could have somewhere regional that could put on a tournament like this, they suddenly went, well, could we run our state championships here? Mm, now, mm. again, that'll be fantastic. Now, we've got that for three years, although it's a little bit different to touch mm. because we've got it for 2024, 2026, and 2028. So they're doing it every second year back yeah. in metro areas. Yeah. That's fine. That means we've got that event three times over the next five years. 
That mm. is fantastic. And mm. that will bring a huge amount of people and a huge amount of money. It's also the flow-on effects after you have a tournament like that. Dare I say the, the worst strategic planning. <laughs> yes, that's good work. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic, mate. Look, it is wonderful to see that there's been so many wonderful events that have come in. And and uh, to the council and to the councillors who are uh, involved in all of those decisions, uh, may I sort of tip my hat to you all for the for the great job you've done over the course of the last term. Uh, it's a job well done. Yeah, I think they've done a really good job. Again, I think it is a really good group of councillors, diverse, different opinions, different backgrounds. Mm. I think it's absolutely fantastic to have that group and, and work with that group for the betterment of Dubbo. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, that's uh, all the questions I have for you today. Uh, well done. You've answered them very well, as always. Uh, so, therefore, coming to the end of our podcast, it's time for the Limerick of the Week. Well, I should do the Limerick of the Week on Mark asking me all the tough questions about all oh, the things enough, that Fair enough, I say. There's nothing year. wrong with that. But what I will do is I'll do a Limerick on really – I can't summarise a year and nine months into one Limerick, but I'll do a bit about on the, the council and where we've gone. So, so, here we go. Here Wonderful. it goes. At DRC, we've worked day and night for 21 months to make things right. Councillors, you see, help the town to be a place where the future is so bright. Oh, well done. Well, I think you've just absolutely nailed it. You've summed it up perfectly. Look, mate, uh, I wish you all the very best uh, for Thursday night. Uh, I, I do hope, and I'm very much a personal level, I'm entitled to my opinion on this. I hope you uh, do get the mayor's job again. I, and again, from a very personal level, I think you're... You've done a fabulous job, and uh, I do uh, believe the fact that Dubbo has benefited enormously from from what you do, um, your time, your efforts, your energy, your passion that you put into this role is significant. And I think uh, we as citizens of Dubbo are very, very grateful uh, for the fact, and I think we're, in many, many ways, I think we're quite blessed to have uh, a man of uh, your ability in that role. So, uh, from the bottom of my heart, uh, uh, that's my little personal sort of uh, call out to anyone who sort of thinks otherwise. I think you're doing an exceptional job, mate, let me tell you. Thank you. And just remind me to book you in for my eulogy with words like that. So. I will. I'll just, just write those down so I don't forget. <laughs> I thank you. Look, it's, it's really enjoyable. I really do enjoy the role. Mm. And I take it very seriously. I take it very seriously, the responsibilities of the role. And I certainly make a lot of sacrifices if I'm going to talk to my wife and kids yes, about absolutely. how little they see me, even my last term as mayor or this term mm. as mayor. But I think the community, this community, definitely the community of this size, deserves someone to be putting 110% into it. And I've often said about this with staff that I've employed over the years, if you've got passion, mm. if you've got dedication, if you've got focus, it can often cover up a whole range of other things that you aren't perfect in. Yes. And again, if you bring passion to anything, that, that covers up a lot of things. Not that I'm saying I've got imperfections everywhere, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I think passion is a really oh, important ingredient. Absolutely. You can have people you with bring the bucket loads of that, let me tell well, you. Well, thank you. But you can have a lot of skills in anything that you do, but if you don't bring a lot of passion to it, then it's not mm. really going to deliver what you hope it delivers. Anyway, I've yeah. enjoyed the last year and nine months. It's been great working with this new group of councillors. Yes. Hopefully I'll get to do it for at least another year and then we'll see what happens after that. Well... Yes, indeed. Uh, well, we'll find out on Thursday. You and I find out at the same time, I'm sure. That's exactly right. Well, folks, if this is our last uh, straight from the mayor's mouth, uh, I hope not. I hope we are back next week. But if not, thank you very much for the, what's been a wonderful time together. And to you, Matt, thank you again, mate. And all the best for Thursday. To everyone out there, take care. And thank you for your time as well. Thank you for the contribution that you've made to the podcast we do each week. Straight from the mayor's mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.